0: Hello and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute I'm Johnny McFarlane and today I'm joined by Gaby Mackay in another Taylor Swift t-shirt Now I know you can't see that, I'm kind of ruining the the idea of the podcast, it's not a video but yes He is today wearing a picture of Taylor Swift and a small cat with uh, sunglasses, it's very interesting
1: It's a Sonic Youth School album cover But with Taylor Swift and a cat Instead
0: of Myra Hindley's sister and her boyfriend What you just said It might as well have been an Italian (laughs) Uh, But uh, I know who Myra Hindley is And I'm not sure that's someone that I would want on a t-shirt Well she's not on Never mind Yeah (laughs) Okay, what are we talking about today? You might wonder, well, where else to start but with uh, Scotland's 3-3 draw with Argentina. So much to talk about, so many incidents. We're going to be taking a deep dive into that. We're going to go up to Aberdeen, uh, a place where we haven't been to discuss the latest goings-on in quite a while. And look at the fact that they've signed Craig Bryson, former Scotland international midfielder, to replace Graham Shinney in their midfield. And then finally, we're going to have a little chat about the Diego Maradona documentary that we think everyone should go and see. So, Gabe, Scotland versus Argentina. Let's do this, because I think this is going to be a bit of a rowdy one, a bit of a bust-up. But let's do this sort of in a, uh, at the order of how events took place, sequential order of how events took place in the game. Scotland start off reasonably poorly. Yep. Argentina have a very good chance. Great header off the bar... Should have scored, though, and then great save from uh, Lee Alexander and the Scotland goal. That seems to get Scotland uh, going, seems to inject some life into them. And from then on, the Scottish attacking players, Kim Little, and especially Aaron Cuthbert, take centre stage. Scotland score first, great run by Aaron Cuthbert, crosses the ball in uh, after a save from the keeper uh, for Kim Little, who turns the ball into the net, and you're thinking, right, OK, here we go, uh, not bad. Not long after, um, into the second half, Jen Beattie scores a header, 2-0 Scotland. All of a sudden you're thinking, well, listen, let's let's have a wee look at this table for the goal difference qualification. Oh, this is looking nice. This is looking, this is very un-Scotland. Third goal, Erin Cuthbert gets her deserved goal. I mean, it's a, an outstanding header. Um, I don't actually know Who Who who, who headed the, but Do you know Who was the, Who Who headed it back across No I can't No, remember. It was a terrific header Anyway Keeper makes a great save Against the post And Aaron Cuthbert Gets a, a much deserved goal Turning the ball into the net 3-0 Scotland And you're like Right Scotland Are actually going to go Three here but Looking at the, the way The groups are panning out Because They're in positive Goal difference um, they've got the three points. It's looking yeah, good. Yeah, but basically,
1: unless Cameroon had
0: won 5 or 6 nil, Scotland would have been going through at that yeah. point. So so let's get stuck into Shelley Kerr here, right? Because I think she's been highly protected so far. And I think we need to be the people that are laying down the law on Shelley Kerr as a coach here. She's done very well to get here, but that doesn't negate the fact that she should have shut down the Scotland defence, she should have pulled them back into a low block She should have made the game very, very, very tight She should have brought in a couple of substitutes to stretch the Argentinians as they push forward What was she doing? The, 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 honestly, I, the words fail me, Gaby, about the first goal for Argentina You've got a 4v3, four Argentinians against three Scotland players on the breakaway What, what, what are they doing?
1: Yeah, I think it, it does go back to what we were discussing in the previous two games that in those games they were far too defensive to start off with and then only went for front the second half. This one, you're 3-0 up. 3-0 is going to take you through. You'd think I mean, even take away the first goal. When it goes to 3-1, you'd think, maybe that's the point. you go, right, okay, let's not do anything stupid here. Let's just take the sting out of it. But no, they kept going. It probably goes back to what Hope Solo was saying about Shelly Kerr being tactically naive. I think the fact that she didn't make a substitution was really damning because you looked at it. You could see the players. A lot of them looked out on their feet. A lot of these players have played in all three of the games. They looked tired. I mean, if you can see that from the television, you can surely see that from the touchline. You'd think that's when you'd make a sub, although admittedly, when she did make a sub, that sub almost immediately gave away a penalty, which I'm sure we'll come on to. So I think that she does deserve, certainly, a fair degree of criticism for how the tournament's gone. As we said, that she did well to get there, but I think you can't, protect, you can't protect them from criticism in that way. You can't protect her from criticism in that way, because that would be patronising.
0: Yeah, it's stark that there was a fitness issue, because so many of Scotland's players are full-time. Uh, in contrast to the Argentinians, who almost I don't think any of them are full-time. So, you should have seen Scotland really push on in that last period, but it was Argentina that had all the momentum. And it was bad enough to lose that goal to make it 3 1, Gaby, but the next goal is once again Scotland caught on the break. It's Scotland still pouring for- forward in search of a fourth goal that they didn't need. I mean, Walter Smith watching that, I can only imagine, but the guy's in his 70s now, he would have been having apoplexy watching that.
1: Yeah, I just, as I said, the you can possibly maybe understand when it goes to 3-1 that it's on the break that maybe they're just thinking look let's try and get as many goals as we yes. possibly can let's put it beyond doubt but once it goes to 3-1 you've got to have the intelligence and the game management to go right let's not do anything stupid here let's shut this down let's make sure we don't concede again and let's at the very least we'll get the win and if Cameroon go out tomorrow and win five or six now then we at
0: least did our bit we did what we had to do and that's for Scotland over the years, and I've been following Scotland, I'm 37, so I've been following Scotland for a long time. That is Scotland all over. You know, um, We never, ever put pressure on other teams when we have the opportunity to do it. As you say, 3-1, it might not have been good enough. It doesn't matter. The point is... Now, if these teams go out, and, like Cameroon, and get the result they need, people will say, oh, well, see, that, that goes to show you it wouldn't have worked anyway. But the fact so is... I, I, I misspoke. The- I think it's Nigeria rather than Cameroon. So that was my fault. That is what I said. But Yeah, Nigeria. Um, but at, at the end of the day, that, the result will be different when you have pressure on you, when you know that you have to get that result... It, it changes the game. It changes your mindset. It changes the way you, you're going to set up. It changes the, your decision-making in the game because it makes it more fraught. And you might be able to get another goal
1: yourself on the break if Argentina know that they need to get another two goals. If they're pushing forward, you might get that fourth goal on the break if they're because they're going to be leaving gaps, presumably, and we know Scotland have a lot of attacking talent, as we saw yesterday, which I think, again, goes back to the first two games where they really didn't show enough going forward I think we said on the podcast in both games, they need to get the ball to Aaron Cuthbert Moore. You saw what happened uh, in the, sec- well, sort of the second half of the first half, if that makes sense, when yes. they got the ball to her. And the first half of the second half, when they got the ball to her, she was by far the best player on the pitch. I'm still just about keeping up here. Sorry. Yeah. Are we,
0: are we in the I'm going from I'm uh... going from
1: about 25 <laughs> minutes to about 65 minutes. What period are we in? <laughs> yeah, well, tw- about 25 minutes to 65 minutes. The, the period where Scotland were good, basically, is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that's not the only problem with that. With that second goal, yes, it was uh, it was three v four. So you had three Argentinian players against four Scottish defenders. It wasn't an overload, but at the end of the day, that's not a situation you want. You want to be looking a little bit more structured than that. Um, it's a terrible clearance by by Kirsty Smith, who should have put the ball out in a touch or or certainly booted it up the pitch. She miskicks it; it goes straight to the Argentinian, who she's a good shot. But let's not beat around the bush again. We've talked about Lee Alexander already. She's made some good stops uh, in this tournament, and she deserves credit for that. But I'm just going to say it, Gaby. I'm just going to get it out there. She's too small to be a goalkeeper. If you can't stop, jump up and stop a shot when it's directly under the bar, then you're too small to be a goalkeeper. It's as simple as that, and she can be the best shot stopper in the world. But if she can't stop the ball in that situation... She's too small to be uh, be a keeper. And I would say that if it was a man or if it was a woman. It's it's ridiculous that that has not been tipped over the bar. That's a straightforward shot. It's a good strike, but it's straightforward.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's one of those where if she had been taller, she would have saved it. I suppose what you'd have to ask is, are there any taller, competent goalkeepers that we have in Scotland who could play instead? I mean... Mick Gannon. Well... (laughs) I think I've spotted one small issue with McGannon playing in the Women's World Cup. Uh, I'll let the listeners work out what that one is. But you can obviously, you can only pick the players who are available to you. Now, I don't know what the depth of goalkeeping talent is, or indeed, more apparently, the height of goalkeeping talent. But if she, I mean, she, we've seen she's a good shot stopper. I agree with you about the height. But if there aren't any taller goalkeepers who are as competent, then what can you really do about it, I guess? Yeah,
0: yeah. fair point. I mean, uh, we don't know the depth of talent, but there, there has to be someone that has the ability to, to, to make uh, what I would see as the basic saves. And if if that person can't make the, the kind of stunning stops um, or the unexpected stops, then at least you know that they're going to do the basic level of competency that just... I, I find that very frustrating, um, and I'm sure a lot of people did watching as well. Um, so at 3-2, you're thinking, oh, God here we go again, because it's just that that expectation of Scottishness. And, I think it's 3-2,
1: everyone in the country knows what's coming next. The minute it goes to 3-2, <laughs> you're like, I've seen this movie before, I know what happens.
0: Yeah. I, I, the thing is, it, it reminded me as well, it, it took me back to like 1990 and to, 1998, but particularly 1990, where you've actually got yourself into a very good situation. Scotland were 0-0 with Brazil and they had to draw, and it was like 80 minutes, and you're going... Oh, this is this is this is actually getting quite exciting. Just to cruel, so cruelly, just pull the rug from under you as, as happened that that game when oh, uh, the the
1: nineteen seventy eight Johnny Rep incident, <laughs> which there was a documentary yes. about that on TV the other day, where there was a two clear goals Scotland had to win by and they get in that position. Ah, it's Johnny Rep pinging it all back, you
0: know. Yeah, I, I think that <sighs> there's something about that though. Obviously, neither of us were around or even born yeah. when that happened, but it was. It was 3-1 Scotland They needed to win 4-1, 4-1 So they, 1, right. they had to score it But this is always forgotten In the, in the, the recap of events Scotland had to mm-hmm. score another one Against the Dutch And not concede any Which, you know Given the Dutch were The best team in the world Yes, they didn't have Johan Cruyff for that World Cup But they still got to the final And played some Scintillating football um, but yeah, it just, it just felt like, oh God, we're going back to all the the horrible, horrible, bad beats, to use the poker parlance, uh, that Scotland have had over the years, and it was like, this is another way to lose, to go out of, we've gone out of World Cups uh, on goal difference, in 1974 we drew all three games, we were undefeated, we went out, um, we went out on, uh, by um, goal scored um, I think in Euro 96, wasn't it? When, uh, Eng- uh, Holland yeah, that's when Holland
1: scored against England. England were 5-0 up or I, something and Holland got a goal. Yeah. I think England let them do that.
0: Yeah, and now we've gone out on VAR. Yeah. I mean, you can't really make it up. But anyway, you couldn't make it up. But we're going to talk about this, this final goal. So, are we in agreement it was a stonewall penalty? Yeah, it's a penalty. I don't
1: think there's any question about that. Uh, it was a daft. It was a daft challenge, and he couldn't even say it was a tire challenge because it was the sub who'd just come on. She, she didn't get the ball. I don't think. Uh, obviously, the referee watched about forty replays, and you couldn't tell definitively. But I don't think she got the ball. So yeah, I think it's an absolute Stonewall penalty. Yes.
0: So I, I think she might have got a touch on the ball, but I don't think it's it's relevant either way because I, I think it didn't change the direction of the ball, and she still took out the player. So the ball was going to the player anyway. So, so for me, it doesn't matter. It looked to me like she she might have had the faintest of touches. But why that referee, who was incompetent, clearly from what we're going to discuss going forward and what we'd seen throughout the game, a variety of bizarre decisions, why that referee took so long to make that call, I, I will never know. For me, it was, it was straightforward. Okay. Now we move on to the penalty. Japanese player comes up, strikes up. A... Argentinian. Argentinian. What Japanese... I'm losing it, I'm going yeah, it's, it's getting late It's not quite day. as bad as your Serbia-Bosnia confusion. <laughs> I don't think there's any history there, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, the Argentinian player comes up, strikes the ball. It's a it's a poor penalty, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, dreadful. it's, it's Essentially straight at the keeper. Um, Alexander gets down. It's, you know, a decent save, but the follow-up save is much better. She throws her body in the way and the ball is cleared. And you're thinking, oh my God, what a game this has been. What a game! Um, and as an aside, I would also say that I would back that up completely, as I've not been a, the biggest fan of some of the football that I've seen at this Women's World Cup, but I thought last night was absolutely sensational. And it goes to show that um, the power of football, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, it sucks you in eventually, even though we've seen two pretty average games already. This one was just full of drama. Um, so the ball's cleared and you're thinking, wow, what a moment, what a great moment for for Scottish football. Um even if it's 3-2, they've still got a very good chance or a decent chance. It's still possible. At least we've done our bit. We've done our bit. And then the VAR happens. So, Gaby just to clarify, right, are we in any disagreement? Because there's been a lot of pictures posted on online. Are we in any disagreement at all? Because I think it was 100% that she did not have, both, have either foot on the line. I, I, I've watched it so many times from so many different angles and this angle that's doing the rounds as always happens on twitter when people use still images is it's not an accurate representation of the multitude of angles so first of all do you think she was she had anything on that line no i think both her feet were off the line okay so that that's the first thing the second thing is then should var have got involved with this
1: I don't think so. I think the purpose of VAR is supposed to be for clear and obvious refereeing errors. I don't think that a player being a few inches off the line, and she was off the line, I don't think that's a clear and obvious refereeing error. I don't think she gained any advantage from being off the line. It was a terrible penalty anyway. I think she'd have saved it regardless if she'd been on the line or behind the line, frankly. Um, I I, I just don't think that this is what we should be using VAR for. Now, I'm not someone who's against VAR. I'm actually in favor of it, but I think VAR's very much, you know, like a I don't know, a fire alarm in a student flat. It should be there, but you shouldn't be using it all the time.
0: (laughs) Um, So where I would take issue with you, for me, it is clear and obvious in the fact that it's clear that she's not on the line and it's obvious that she's not on the line with the use of VAR. The question for me comes whether or not that they should be um, going back over something like that. That minute point in the rules, is there enough of an advantage gained by her very small move forward that um, they should make a decision on that. The problem that you have, though, and I do take this on board, I'm sure if there was a referee standing here, they would say, well, who's the arbiter of what is small and what's medium and what's large, and at which point that we should make the inter- the intervention with VAR? Because we've watched um, footage today, Gaby kindly was telling me about Gianluigi uh, Buffon, and some of his antics in previous uh, European ties, and show me some footage where Buffon was two or three yards off his line when the penalty was was struck. And clearly, that is absolutely not acceptable. And, and the rule has always been two legs must be on the line when the penalty struck. They've actually relaxed it and made it one leg on the line. But is this in the spirit of VAR? Would be my would be my comeback to my own points, I suppose. Is this? Are we wanting to to, to go really into the minutiae now? I think it's clear and obvious, but I just I haven't thought about it in a lot of detail today. I just don't think that's the kind of thing that VAR is for, in, in terms of the spirit of VAR. Yeah, well, I agree. I think that's
1: the thing: is the the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Yeah. If you're looking at this, do you have to look at every throw-in that goes wrong? Because yeah. if that hadn't gone wrong, then it might lead to a goal twenty minutes later because of you know chaos theory. <laughs> is this the kind Is this the kind of thing? So there are some laws where you can say you know, uh, the letter of the law is the spirit of the law the spirit of the law in my mind in this is that goalkeepers like Buffon and uh, I say if you'd watch the 2003 Champions League penalty final shoot uh, penalty final shootout sorry uh, Dida and Buffon they're both about 3 yards off the line for every penalty and that was a real problem in sort of mid-noughties now we can all agree that that's wrong that's why that rule exists so that goalkeepers aren't 3 yards off the line encroaching on penalty takers gaining advantage from it I, that's why the law exists I don't think that that last night or indeed having VAR to ch- tell if someone's got a toe on the line or well a heel rather a heel on the line or off the line I don't think that's the kind of thing that VAR's used for it's not we don't need Hawkeye it's not like tennis you know yeah. where if it clips the line you know if your heel clips the line or the ball clips the line I don't think it's a good use of VAR I think it's over it's an overextension of the use of it it's, it's supposed to be for goals and red cards and mistaken identity and stuff like that
0: I suppose they would argue that it is a key moment of the game though, a penalty.
1: Yeah, but the comeback to that would be I think that it should just be at the referee's discretion to decide yeah. if the goalkeeper has moved off the line or if they've done it so much that they that essentially that they gain an advantage from it. I know that's not the law but I think that's very much the, the spirit of the law.
0: Well, and that, it's interesting you mention that because that's exactly what the English Premier League are saying uh, for next season that they're going to do. They're going to leave it entirely up to the referee. They're not going to have VAR decisions on this because of obviously the Premier League are introducing VAR from next year. They're going to leave this entirely to the discretion of the referee whether or not he thinks that that goalkeeper has infringed or... Uh, uh, Made a movement that is not in the spirit of those. Yeah, those I mean, I hate
1: to use this because it's usually used by people who just don't know the laws. But I think a bit of common sense is needed. There yeah. is a massive difference between that 2003 penalties I'm talking about, where goalkeepers are three yards off the line, and what happened last night, where she moved very slightly forward to basically to spring for a dive because you can't you can't dive without moving forwards. You can fall sideways, but you need to have some sort of uh, momentum in it when you do it.
0: Yeah, and of course, the, the person who's probably um, uh, gained most from this is actually Shelley Kerr, because we're not talking about the fact Scotland have lost a three-goal lead in six, uh, 14, sixteen yeah. minutes, sixteen minutes, um, and you know capitulated in such a dramatic fashion. We're instead talking about refereeing de- decisions, which I think let her uh, off the hook significantly. Yeah, let's be clear: Scotland should never have been in the position
1: where that penalty could knock them out of the World Cup. They were 3-0 up with, what, yeah, was it 16 minutes to go? That, that whole issue should never have arisen. It doesn't take away from the fact that I don't think the the retake thing was the right thing. I don't like the application of it. But Scotland should never have been in that position in the first place. It is entirely their own fault
0: that they were ever in that position. Absolutely. Right, well, we're going to move on now before um, we start to cry and uh, this podcast becomes slightly awkward. Um, and we're going to move to Aberdeen. Um, oil country and perhaps it's oil money or not that has helped them sign craig bryson 32 year old former scotland international he has three caps and spent the last few years down at derby Um, gaby this is a guy who's been renowned as one of the best players in the championship over perhaps the last five or six years he's he's certainly been in uh, championship teams of the year He scored uh, 16 goals uh, in 2015-2016. Derby legend scored a a memorable hat-trick against uh, Nottingham Forest. We know that that Derby is one of the most poisonous in English football. Um, Coming up north at 32, is this a like-for-like swap with Graham Shinney, or uh, is it just a damn good signing for Aberdeen? I think it's just a
1: damn good signing, I'm not sure, It's a, I think Shinny's definitely more of a defensive player, Bryson's always been box to box, I mean from what I've seen of him I haven't seen him in recent years at Derby I must say, but certainly early in his career at Derby when he was at Comarnock and indeed when he was at Clyde, I saw him playing for Clyde when he was there, he was very much a box to box player, a guy who could do do it at both ends of the pitch He was famously a part of that
0: 2-1 Clyde victory over Celtic wasn't he? And yes, he I think was. he might have scored that day actually it's um, Clyde fans will will quickly tell me I'm wrong because uh, th- that that was a <laughs> that was a memorable memorable game that and he was actually I remember watching the game live he was terrific in that game up against Roy Keane of all people um, yeah um, but Graham Shinney's obviously been a, a stalwart for Aberdeen as you say in a more defensive position um, he's pushed been pushed forward slightly in games against Celtic to try and. Get in and about Scott Brown and stop him dictating players. Yeah, but that's still very much more of a destructive role, I would say. Yeah. Even
1: though he's playing further forward, it's more about stopping the opposition and, like you say, disrupting Brown, which I don't think
0: is Bryson's game necessarily. Basically, what I'm doing here, Gaby, I made a daft tweet where I said that it was a good like for like swap and then had 10 or 15 people tell me that I was talking rubbish and they weren't the same player. And now I'm trying to, um, you know, justify myself and actually just digging a larger hole. Yeah, pretty much. So, swiftly, I'm going to move on to. uh, No. uh, um, I, I take that all on board. In terms of that Aberdeen midfield, you're now looking at uh, a trio of uh, Ferguson, Lewis Ferguson, Dean Campbell, and Bryson potentially in there. That is a pretty formidable-looking midfield. If Bryson comes back up and is anything like the player we would expect, having been down there and performed so well, um, that is going to be solid stuff for Aberdeen, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely should
1: be. Uh... I think you've got a good mix there of youth and experience. Uh, Bryson being at 32, maybe he won't quite be the sort of all-action player he was in the past, but he'll have that experience, he'll have that know-how as you say, he's been really great in the Championship. I think he won Derby's Player of the Year twice, perhaps. Yeah. You, and you, you even look at a guy like Stephen Naismith, who's come up to Hearts, he's similar age, had bad injuries in England, maybe when he was at Norwich, wasn't cutting it, people thought he was done, and he's come up here and been an absolute star turn. So I don't see any
0: reason why Bryson couldn't do the same thing. And I think it's key that he was actually offered a new contract by Derby. Obviously, he's very, very highly thought of there, but the fact that they wanted to keep him on suggests to me that he's still got something about him. Um, We're going to move on now to um, the wonderful Maradona documentary, Diego Maradona, that is doing uh, the rounds at the cinemas at the moment. Um, Gaby, you're uh, a, a massive fan of Italian football. What did you make of it? I thought it was fantastic from
1: start to finish. I thought it was just, it starts sort of with this almost like a car chase scene through Naples, and it basically compresses the the start of his career and his time after Napoli into a couple of minutes either end of the film It's basically just a narrative about the years he spent in Naples, which obviously are the most crucial points of his career. It's when he won the World Cup, it's when he won the Scudetto twice with Napoli, he won the UEFA Cup, but it's the Asif Kapadia... Filmmaker. They've done really well to make a sort of narrative out of the that time there. I thought it was just brilliant. Probably the best football documentary I've seen since Nick's Goal wins, I would say.
0: It's quite similar to Gerard documentary, which was made by the same people. Uh, a lot of people will have seen that um, on Amazon Prime. It's the same in the sense that there's no talking hits. It's all found footage from the time. And it gives you a really, really good sense of, of what was going on and the characters involved. A um, couple of things that stood out to me, Gaby. Number one, I didn't realise how... Small Naples were as a, Napoli were as a team at that point. Like they hadn't won any Scudettos. They had I think, scudetti. Scudetti. Apologies. Yeah. That's the that's the plural, isn't it? In Italian. Yeah. Um, and uh, they hadn't. I don't think. I think they won one cup or something. Like this was one not, or two. Yeah. This was not um, the best player in the world joining a team that had lots of success in its history. This is a guy dragging up a city and a club by the bootstraps. And I think they won two scudetti. They won the UEFA Cup. They won Italian Cups. Um, so, from nothing to, for a five-year period that Maradona was there, they became one of the best clubs in Italy. And you know that in Italy they have Juventus, AC Milan, Inter Milan. It's a formidable opposition to try and uh, to try and get through to win those kind of titles. So, I found that 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 incredibly interesting. Just just how big an achievement that was. Um, and furthered my opinion that maybe Maradona is is undervalued as one of the, the greatest players of, of all time. I know many people put him in the top five or the top three, but um, it underlined, you know, compared to someone like Lionel Messi, who's always been at an elite club, or Cristiano Ronaldo, who's gone from elite club to elite club. Um, Maradona had to go and literally do a lot of it himself. And some of the footage absolutely astounding. Um, the little uh, bits of uh, normally normally you see people doing keepy uppie, he's doing keepy uppie with his back heel. Which is just incredible. And the other thing, mate, I would say would be just the incredible, dramatic footage of just how much of a deity he became in the city of Naples. You know, people would say, first Maradona, then God, and things like that. And and I've heard those kind of cliches before, having visited uh, Napoli myself and spent quite a lot of time in that part of Italy. But um, to see it at the time, just how crazy it got, and you see scenes of Diego Maradona trying to walk down um, a, a real, relatively narrow corridor in an airport, and it's just becoming literally like a rugby scrum. And, and, and it's excruciating. It's like that scene from Game of Thrones in the Battle of the Bastards, where Jon Snow is under like a pile of, um, of warriors, and he's getting crushed because they're all getting killed, and the bodies are lying on top of him. It, it just feels incredibly claustrophobic. Now Gaby's looking at me like what are you talking about because he doesn't watch Game of Thrones but I'm sure a lot of people will be, be more onto to the kind of uh, that kind of show than you are Gaby Yeah sure, oh, I just I didn't understand the, <laughs> the
1: reference but no uh, I thought the obviously there's a sort of cultural context as well with Naples being sort of looked down upon by the rest of Italy or certainly not all of the rest of Italy obviously but a certain section of society, there are certain prejudices about Naples, it's a one Club City, so it was almost as if Maradona was doing this, you know, for Naples, and they all sort of came with him, which I think is why they sort of revered him as a sort of deity. I thought one of the best things in the in the film, not trying to do this as a spoiler, but we know that they they won the league, and then the uh, the graffiti outside the cemetery saying oh, "You don't know what you just
0: missed," yeah, which I thought was a lovely probably. moment. Yeah, yeah, and there's so many moments like that peppered through this film now. It's on all over Glasgow at the moment. Certainly, um, Cineworld, World, Everyman, uh, Glasgow Film Th- uh, Theatre. So, uh, is that a GFT, Glasgow Film Theatre? Yeah, GFT. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've never yeah, that's actually, where I saw I, it. Just, I just assumed. I just guessed that, Gaby. <laughs> so. Um, get along to see that because um, we wouldn't normally talk about this on a Football uh, Scotland podcast but we were both so blown away by it we thought we'd bring it up today he did score his first goal for Argentina against Scotland so if if you want to make it a little bit relevant then we'll shoehorn that in (laughs) that's all from us today at Football Scotland Daily we'll be back tomorrow with another podcast to meet all your uh, commute needs because we know that come 4pm when we release this podcast you desperately want something to catch up with uh, the news of that day from scottish football you can follow us on our website at footballscotland.co.uk for all the latest news and action you can follow us on twitter at football underscore scott you can follow us on facebook and of course you can subscribe to the podcast to get it as soon as it becomes available via itunes acast or any other good podcasting platform To continue the debate with either of us, you can get me at Johnny R. McFarlane. On Twitter, you can get Gaby at... At Gaby McKay. Until next time, thanks for listening.